Our scripture lesson for today, All Saints Sunday, comes from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. And then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. People of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. There are a lot of really, really creative people in the world. And if the internet shows us anything, it highlights their talents, that, that there are creative people out there, much more creative than me. Now, this takes many, many different forms, one of which that I probably spend way too much time on these days is TikTok. Now, if you're familiar with TikTok, you know they're short little videos, and they're all kinds of different stuff, but there are some really, really entertaining people out there. And there is one particular individual that I'm thinking about that I've, I've discovered recently that goes by the moniker Creepy Dave. Weird name. It's a weird name. But Creepy Dave could be considered to be a little bit of an educator. A little bit. Because Creepy Dave makes videos about various animals, and he's informing you about these different animals. Again, use, use informative lightly, because it's more humorous than anything. But what I really appreciate, or what I laugh at, really, is the way Creepy Dave talks and the way he intentionally mispronounces the names of the various animals that he's talking about. Now, for instance, I'm going to give you two examples. The first one, he's talking about the breed of dog known as a Great Dane. But the thing about Creepy Dave is he talks like this, and he's going to tell you about the Gratidania. The Gratidania looks like a baby giraffe whose neck forgot to grow. Think about a Great Dane for a second. Now, that's not a great description, but is it kind of accurate? Big dog sort of looks like a giraffe whose neck forgot to grow. Weird. But okay. Another example the platypus. Now, I can't even tell you how he pronounces that because I can't even wrap my brain around it. But let's think about a platypus for a moment. I think most of us have probably seen a picture or a video of a platypus, and we know how weird of an animal they are. Imagine if you were trying to describe to someone who had never heard of a platypus or never seen a platypus before, and you were trying to describe it. Creepy Dave describes a... <laughs> cracks me up. 
describes a platypus as a duck trying to escape out of the body of a beaver. Weird? Yeah. Accurate? Kinda? I mean, for lack of a better description, I suppose that'll work. Now, here's why I am sharing this. You may be wondering, what does this have to do with anything? The idea of trying to describe something that we just really don't have the language to adequately describe is the idea that I have in the back of my mind. And I'm thinking about that because there are a lot of examples within Scripture, not just Revelation, but throughout all of Scripture, we have a lot of different times when perhaps an individual has a vision or they see something that is somehow divine and they try to describe it, but words are just inadequate to properly do that. Now, there are many examples throughout the course of the Scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, One that I'm thinking of that comes to mind is the baptism of Jesus. When we hear that the heavens are somehow torn open and the Holy Spirit descends and lands upon Jesus like a dove. Now, I don't know exactly what it looked like, and I don't think the author is telling us that a bird came and sat on Jesus. I think the author is telling us something happened and it kind of looked like this. Have you ever done that before when you're trying to explain something to somebody and you can't really explain it? So, you know, it's kind of like this. Another example that we, that we have here in church uh, once a year is the transfiguration of Jesus, which is another one of those moments when something amazing happens and the people who witnessed it probably lacked the language to really be able to describe what it was. Well, his face shone like lightning. Does that literally mean that lightning shot out of his head? I mean, that'd be kind of awesome to see, but I doubt that's what happened, but they were trying to describe it. Now, an obvious example of this is the entirety of the book of Revelation. Now, the Revelation is the final book of the Bible. It kind of wraps it up, and if you've ever read Revelation, you know there's some weird stuff in there. I mean, the entire book is pretty full of weird imagery, and I can only imagine that as John, who is the individual who had this, this divine vision, as he was trying to write it down, as he was trying to describe all of the stuff that he had somehow seen, he lacked the language to really do it. And so he's writing about all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's dragons in there. It kind of sounds like Game of Thrones for a second. There's, there's all kinds of weird imagery. We hear about trumpets going off, which as a former trumpet player, I am fond of. I think that's a good thing. We have these, these divine bowls being poured out on the earth, and I don't know what to make of that. There's all sorts of this weird, strange imagery. Now, when we think about the book of Revelation as a whole, there's, there's a lot of different interpretations of just what is it that we're supposed to be getting out of this. There's one interpretation that this is is uh, John somehow seeing what the end times are going to be like. You know, out there at some unknown point in the future when this reality that we are a part of is coming to a close and somehow uh, this other plane of existence, heaven and hell and all of this stuff, is kind of breaking into our reality. And I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of weird and kind of strange, and I can't really adequately describe it, so maybe what John has written for us is a good thing. That's one way of thinking about this, and I think that's true, and I think that's accurate, but I also think that there's other meanings that are laying underneath Revelation. Now, John was the only one of the apostles, or of the the 12 apostles, who actually lived to old age. The rest of them were all martyred. 
John was eventually uh, exiled, and he lived out most of his older life on this island named Patmos somewhere in the Mediterranean. I'm not exactly sure where. And he gathered a community of believers around him, and he was writing about all of this different stuff. But so he was present for a lot of the late first century, you know, the, probably the, the 20, 30, 40 years after Jesus was walking around. And at that time, the world was controlled by the Roman Empire. And there were a lot of different cultures and a lot of different nations that were all controlled by the Romans. And early on in the book of Revelation, we hear that he's writing the, this letter or these, these messages to some of the different churches, some of the different communities, some of the different uh, faith communities that would have been experiencing life under the oppression of the Romans. And so some scholars think that all of this various imagery that we have is reflecting reality of life under the brutal control of the Roman Empire. The Romans did a lot of really great things, but they also did a lot of really bad things. And if you were one of the cultures that was controlled by them, you either listened up and kept your head down, or they killed you. That was just the way things went. And so a lot of the imagery, a lot of the stuff that we hear about in the book of Revelation is talking about all this tumultuous, earth-shatteringly difficult stuff. And yet, there's a message of hope within it. Now again, there's a lot of imagery. There's a lot going on in there. Now let's zero in on this, this portion that we read today. This portion, John has somehow found himself in the heavenly throne room. And there's a throne in the middle, and God is there. And there's also the Lamb of God, which I think we all kind of agree is, is Jesus. And then there are images of angels, and angels are described in lots of really, really freaky ways. For instance, a wheel of eyes. Is it like a gratidania? We don't quite understand what it is. It's weird. So we have angels around. And then we have these elders, and we don't really know who the elders are. But then in the midst of all of this, all of this strange stuff, and if, if I was John, I'm sure I'd be standing there like, I don't know what to make of this. But suddenly there's this amazing multitude of people. And we hear that they're from every tribe and every language and every people. It's, it's people from all over the world. And one of these elders comes up to John and says, who are these people? I imagine that... that this elder is, is speaking like a teacher who is trying to make a point and so asks a question that they already know the answer to. And John's like, dude, I have no idea. You're the one who knows. And the elder says, well, yes, I do know. These are the ones who have survived the great ordeal. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and they are forever before the throne of God, worshiping the Lord. Here's where the promise comes in. And I love this so much. They will hunger no more. They will thirst no more. They will not be struck by scorching heat. And the Lord will wipe every tear away from their eyes. Whatever it is that John is trying to describe, whatever this imagery is, it seems that the ordeal of life, the up and down, the back and forth, the difficulties of this life as we know it are done for these people. And they are experiencing a new reality in which there is no physical needs of our bodies. There is no pain. There is no suffering. There is no sorrow. There is only the joy of being in the presence, the literal presence of God. This is a hopeful thing. And one that I believe we are given these little glimmers of for us to hold on to in the midst of this life in which we have trouble. 
Now, we've talked a lot about the turmoils of life over the years and in recent weeks. We know there's a lot in this world, a lot in these, this, these lives that we lead that are difficult to deal with. But we have these hopeful images, these little glimmers of the future promise. Now, today is All Saints Sunday. We've talked about that. Today, we've got candles up here that represent the memory of individuals who I believe are now experiencing that promise firsthand. This is the theme of the day, when we remember them, when we remember their witness to us, and we remember the promise that they are experiencing firsthand, just as we do the same for every individual whenever we have a funeral. That is the promise of the gospel which we cling to, which we profess, which we hold on to in the face of death, because death is hard for us who are still living. But the promise of the gospel says that crossing that barrier takes us firsthand to experience the reality of the promises that God has made. That may be difficult for us to wrap our heads around. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I don't think we're going to be disappointed. So maybe the best that we can do is describe it as being like in a throne room and God is there and there's all these other people and there's all these other entities and it's going to be amazing even if we can't quite picture it. Maybe it's like calling a dog a baby giraffe whose neck hasn't grown. Or maybe it's like calling a duck trying to escape from the body of a beaver. I don't know. It's weird and it's hard to wrap our heads around, but it's also true. And I hope that you find hope in that. As we remember these individuals, as we remember any of those people that are important within our lives that went on ahead of us, and as we cling to those future promises for our saints. Amen.